Chapter Eight of All the Brothers Were Valiant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. All the Brothers Were Valiant by Ben Ames Williams. Chapter Eight. You're blaming me," said Mark when he and Joel were puffing at their pipes, "for leaving my ship." Joel said slowly. No, but I do not understand it. Mark laughed, a soft and throaty laugh. You would not, Joel. You would not, for you never felt an overwhelming notion that you must dance in the moon upon the sand. You've never felt that, Joel. And I have. I'm not a hand for dancing, said Joel. Mark seemed to forget that his brother sat beside him. His eyes became misty and thoughtful, as though he were living over again the days of which he spoke. Mind, Joel, he said, there's a pagan in every man of us. And there's two pagans in some of us. And I'm minded, Joel, that there are three of them in me. Twas so that night. It was night when you left the ship? Aye, night. Night and the moon. And it may have been that I had been drinking a drop or two. Also, as you shall see, I was not well. I tell these things not by way of excuse and palliation, but only so that you may understand. Do you see? I was three pagans in one body and that body witched by moon and twisted by drink and trembling with fever. And so it was I went ashore and flung my men behind me and went off, dancing, along the hard sand. That was a night, Joel, a slow-winded, warm, trembling night when there was a song in the very air. The wind tingled on your throat like a woman's fingertips and the sea was singing at the one side, and the wind in the palms on the other. And ahead of me the wild, discordant chanting of the islanders about their fires. That singing it was that got me by the throat and led me. I twirled around and around, very solemnly, by myself in the moonlight on the sand, and all the time I went onward toward the fires. I remember, when I came in sight of the fires, I threw away my coat and ran in among them, and they scattered and yelled their harsh, meaningless, throaty yells, and they hid in the bush to stare at me by the fire. They hid in the rank, thick grasses, all except one, Joel. Joel, listening, watched his brother and saw through his brother's eyes for he knew, for all his slow blood, the witchery of those warm southern nights. The moon was on her, said Mark. The moon was on her, and there was a red blossom in her hair, and some strings of things that clothed her. A little brown girl with eyes like the eyes of a deer, and not afraid of me. That was the thing that got me, Joel. She stood in my path, met me, watched me, 
and her eyes were not afraid. She was very little. She was only a child. I suppose we would call her sixteen or seventeen years old. But they ripen quickly, Joel, these island children. Her little shoulders were as smooth and soft. You could not even mark the ridge of her collarbones. She was fleshed so sweetly. She stood and watched me, and the others crept out of the grasses at last and stood about us. And then this little brown girl held up her hand to me and pointed me out to the others and said something. I did not know what it was that she said, but I know now. She said that I was sick. I did not know then that I was sick. When she lifted her hand to me, I caught it, and I began to lead her in a wild dance in the moonlight about the dying fires. I could see them in the shadows, their eyeballs shining as they watched us. And they seemed, after a little, to move about in a misty, inhuman fashion, and they twisted into strange, cloud-like shapes. And I stopped to laugh at them, and my head dropped down before I could catch it and struck against the earth. And the earth forsook me, Joel, and left me swimming in nothing at all. My memory was a long time in coming back to me, Joel. It would peep out at me like a timid child hiding among the trees. I would see it for an instant, then twould be gone. But I know it must have been many days that I was on the island there. And I knew, after a time, that I was most extremely sick. And the little brown girl put cool leaves on my head and gave me strange brews to drink, and rubbed and patted my chest and my body with her hands in a fashion that was immensely comfortable and strengthening. And I twisted on a bed of coarse grass. And I remember singing at times. He looked toward Joel, eyes suddenly flaming. Eh, hey, Joel, I tell you, I was not three pagans but six in those days. The thing's clear beyond your guessing, Joel, but it was big, an immense thing. I was back at the beginning of the world, with food and drink and my woman. It was big, I tell you, big. His eyes clouded. He fell silent, and so at last went on again. I was asleep one night, tossing in my sleep, and something woke me, and I laid my hand on the spot beside me where the little brown girl used to lie, and she was gone. So I got up unsteadily. There were rifles snapping in the night, and there were screams, and I heard a white man's black curse, and the slap of a blow of flesh on flesh, and the screams. So I went that way, and the sounds retreated before me, until I came out unsteadily upon the open beach. There was no moon that night, and the water of the lagoon was shot with fire, and there was a boat pulling away from the beach with screaming in it. I swam after the boat for a long time, 
for I thought I had heard the voice of the little brown girl. The water was full of fire. When I lifted my arms, the fire ran down them in streams and drops. And sometimes I forgot what I was about and stopped to laugh at these drops of fire. But in the end I always swam on. I remember once I thought the little brown girl swam beside me, and I tried to throw my arm about her, and she wrenched away, and she burned me like a brand. I found afterwards what that was. My breast and sides were rasped and raw where a shark's rough skin had scraped them. I've wondered, Joel, why the beast did not take me. But he did not for I bumped at last into the boat and climbed into it, and it was empty. But I saw a rope at the end of it, and I pulled the rope and came to the schooner's stern and climbed aboard her. His voice was ringing exultantly and proudly. I swung aboard, he said, and I stumbled over fighting bodies on the deck, astern there, and someone cried out in the waist of her and I knew it was the little brown girl. So I left those struggling bodies at the stern, for they were not my concern, and I went forward to the waist, and I found her there. A fat man had her. She was fighting him, and he did not see me. And I put my fingers quietly into his neck, from behind, and when he no longer kicked back at me, and no longer tore at my fingers with his, I dropped him over the side. I saw a fiery streak in the water where I dropped him. That shark was not so squeamish as the one I had embraced. It may have been the other was embarrassed at my ways, Joel. Do you think that might have been the way of it? Joel's knuckles were white where his hand rested on his knee. Mark saw and laughed softly. "'There's blood in you after all, boy,' he applauded. "'I've hopes for you.' Joel said slowly, "'What then? What then, Mark?' Mark laughed. "'Well, that was a very funny thing,' he said. "'You see, the other two men, they were busy astern with their own concerns.' And when I had confronted the little brown girl, and sat down on the deck to laugh at the folly of it all, she slipped away from me, and went aft, and got all their rifles. She brought them to me. She seemed to expect things of me. So I, still laughing, for the fever was on me, I took the rifles and threw them, all but one, over the side and I went down into the cabin with the little brown girl and went to bed, and she sat beside me with the rifle and a lamp hanging above the door. And that was all that happened, until I woke one morning and saw her there and wondered where I was. And my head was clear again. She made me understand that the men had sought to come at me but had feared the rifle in her hands. And we were in the open sea, as I could feel by the labor of the schooner underfoot. So I took the rifle in the crook of my arm, 
and with the little brown girl at my heel I went up on deck, and we made a treaty. He fell silent for a moment, and Joel watched him and waited. And at last Mark went on. I had been more than a month on the island, he said. The Nathan Ross had gone. This schooner was a pearler, and they had the location of a bed of shell. They had been waiting till another schooner should leave the place, to leave their own way clear. And when that time came, they went ashore to get the brown women for companions on that cruise. And they made the mistake of picking up my little brown girl when she ran out of the hut, and so brought me down upon them. There were two of them left, two whites and three black men forward, who were of no account and the other two women. These other two were chatting together, on the deck astern, when I appeared. They seemed content enough. The men were not happy. There was a large man with slanting eyes. There was oriental blood in him. You could see that. He called himself Quint. But his eyes were Jap or Chinese, and he had their calm, blank screen across his countenance, to hide what may have been his thoughts. Quint, he called himself, and he was a big man, and very much of a man in his own way, Joel. The other was little, and he walked with a slink and a grin. His name was Fetcher, and he was oily in his speech. When they saw me, they studied me for a considerable time without speech. And I stood there with the rifle in my arm and laughed at them. And at last, Quint said calmly, You took Farrell. The fat man? I asked him. He nodded. Yes, I said. He took my girl and so I dropped him into the water and a friend met him there and hurried him away. "'Your girl?' he echoed in a nasty way. "'You're that, then?' "'Am I?' I asked, and shifted the rifle a thought to the fore. And his eyes held mine for a space, and then he shook his head. "'I see that I was mistaken,' he said. "'Your sight is good,' I told him. "'Now, what is this? Tell me.' He told me, evenly and without malice. They had a line on the pearls. There were enough for three. I was welcome. And at the end I nodded my consent. The Nathan Ross was gone. Furthermore, there were nine pagans in me now, and the prospect of looting some still lagoon, in company with these two rats, had a wild flavor about it that caught me. My blood was burning, and the sun was hot. Also, they had liquor aboard her. Liquor and loot, and the three women. Pagan, Joel, pagan. But wild and red and raw. There's a glory about such things. Songs are made of them. There was no handshaking. But we made alliance, and crowded on sail, and went on our way. He stopped short, laughed, 
filled his pipe again, watched Joel. "'You're shocked with me, boy. I can see it,' he taunted mockingly. Joel shook his head. "'Will you hear the rest?' Mark asked. And Joel nodded. Mark lighted his pipe, laughed. His fingers thrummed on the desk beside him. "'We were a week on the way,' he said, "'and all pagan, every minute of the week. "'Days when we fought a storm, as bad as I've ever seen, Joel. "'We fought it, holding to the ropes with our teeth, "'bare to the waist, with the wind scourging us. "'It tore at us and lashed at us, "'and we drove the three black men with knives to their work.' and the three women stayed below, except my little brown girl. She came up now and then with dry clothes for me, and I had to drive her to shelter. And when there was not the storm, there was liquor, and they had cards. We staked our shares in the catch that was to come. Hour on hour, dealing and playing with few words, and our eyes burned hollow in their sockets, and Quint's thin mouth twisted and writhed all the time, like a worm on a pin. He was a nervous man for all his calm, a very nervous man. The fifth day one of the blacks stumbled in Quint's path on deck. Quint had been losing at the cards, he slid a knife from his sleeve into the man's ribs and tipped the black over the rail without a word. I was twenty feet away, and it was done before I could catch breath. I shouted, and Quint turned and looked at me, and he smiled. "'What is it?' he asked. "'Have you objections to present?' And the smeared blade in his hand and the bubbles still rising overside. I was afraid of the man, Joel. I tell you, I was afraid. The only time. Fear's a pagan joy, boy. It was like a new drink to me. I nursed it, eating it, and I shook my head, humble. No objections, I said to Quint. Tis your affair. "'That was my thought,' he agreed, and passed me and went astern. I stood aside to let him pass, and trembled, and laughed for the joy of my fear. And then we came to the lagoon, and the blacks began to dive. Only the two we had, and there was no sign of islanders ashore. But the water was shallow and we worked the men with knives, and they got pearls. Sometimes one or two in a day, sometimes a dozen. Do you know pearls, Joel? They're sweet as a woman's skin. I had never seen them before, and we all went a little mad over them. They made Fetcher hysterical. He laughed too much. They made Quint morose. They made me tremble. He wiped his hand across his eyes, as though the memory wearied him, and he moved his great shoulders and looked at Joel and laughed. 
"'But it could not last in that fashion,' he said. "'It might have been anything. "'It turned out to be the women. "'I said they seemed content. "'They did, but that may be the way of the blacks. "'They have a happy habit of life. "'They laugh easily. "'At any rate, we found one morning that Quint's girl was gone. "'She was not on the schooner. "'And ashore... We found her tracks in the sand. She had gone into the trees. And we beat the island, and we did not find her. And Quint sweated all that day. That night he looked at my little brown girl and touched her shoulder. I was across the deck, the girl coming to me with food. I said to him, No, she's mine, Quint and he looked at me, and I beat him with my eyes. And as his turned from mine, Fetcher and his woman came on deck, and Quint tapped Fetcher and said to him, "'What will you take for her?' Fetcher laughed at him, and Quint scowled. And I, for I was minded to see sport, came across to them and said, "'Play for her! Play for her!' Fetcher was willing, because he had the blood that gambles anything. Quint was willing, because he was the better player. They sat down to the game in the cabin after supper. Poker. Cold hands. Nine of them. Winner of five to win. Fetcher got two. Lost four. Got two more. I was dealing. Card by card, face upward. I remember those hands. And my little brown girl and the other watching from the corner. The hands on the table grew, card by card. Fetcher got an ace, Quint a deuce. Fetcher a queen, Quint a seven. Fetcher a jack, Quint a six. Fetcher a ten, Quint a ten. Only the last card to come to each. If Fetcher paired any card, he would win. His card came first. It was a seven. He was ace, queen high. Quint had deuce, six, seven, ten. He had to get a pair to win. I saw Quint's hand stir beneath the table, and I glimpsed a knife in it. But before I could speak or stir, Fetcher dropped his own hand to his trouser leg, and I knew he kept a blade there. So I laughed and dealt Quint's last card. A deuce. He had a pair, enough to win. He leaned back, laughing grimly, and Fetcher's knife went in beneath the left side of his jaw, where the jugular lies. Quint looked surprised and got up out of his chair and lay down quietly across the table. I heard the bubbling of his last breath. Then Fetcher laughed and called his woman, and they took Quint on deck and tipped him overside. The knife had been well thrown. Fetcher had barely moved his wrist. I was much impressed with the little man 
and told my brown girl so. But she was frightened, and I comforted her. He was silent again for a time, pressing the hot ashes in his pipe with his thumb. The water slapped the broad stern of the ship beneath them, and Joel's pipe was gurgling. There was no other sound. Little Priss, nails biting her palms, thought she would scream if the silence held an instant more. But Mark laughed softly and went on. "'Fetcher and I worked smoothly together,' he said. "'The little man was very pleasant and affable, and I met him halfway. "'The blacks brought up the shells, and we idled through the days and played cards at night. "'We divided the take each day, so our stakes ran fairly high.' but luck has a way of balancing. On the day when we saw the end in sight, we were fairly even. Fetcher and the blacks and I went ashore to get fruit from the trees there. Plenty of it everywhere, and we were running short. We went into the brush together very pleasantly, and he fell a little behind. I looked back and his knife brushed my neck and quivered in a tree a yard beyond me. So I went back and took him in my hands. He had another knife. The little man fairly bristled with them. But it struck a rib, and before he could use it again, his neck snapped. So that I was alone on the schooner with the two blacks and Fetcher's woman and the little brown girl. Fetcher's woman went ashore to find him and never came back. And I decided it was time for me to go away from that place. The pagans were dying in me. I did not like that quiet little island any more. But the next morning, when I looked out beyond the lagoon, another schooner was coming in. So I was uncomfortable with Fetcher's pearls, as well as mine, in my pocket. There are some hard men in these seas, Joel, and I knew none of them would treasure me above my pearls. So I planned a story of misfortune, and I went ashore to hide my pearls under a rock. The blacks had brought me ashore. I went out of their sight to do what I had to do, and when I came back, after hiding the pearls, I saw them rowing very swiftly toward the schooner and they looked back at me in a fearful way. I wondered why, and then four black men came down on me from behind with knives and clubs. I had a very hard day that day. They hunted me back and forth through the island. I had not even a knife with me, and I met them here and there and suffered certain contusions and bruises and minor cuts. Also, I grew very tired of killing them. They were wiry, but they were small and died easily. And so I was glad when, from a point where they had cornered me, I saw the little brown girl rowing the big boat toward me. She was alone. The blacks were afraid to come, I thought. But I found afterward that this was not true. They could not come for they had tried to seize the schooner and go quickly away from that place 
and the little brown girl had drilled them both. She had a knack with the rifle. I waited to meet the boat, and she tossed me the gun. I held them off for a little, while we drew away from the shore. But when we were thirty or forty yards off, I heard rifles from the other schooner, firing past us at the blacks in the bush, and the girls stopped rowing. So I turned around and saw that one of the balls from the other schooner had struck her in the back. So I sat there in the sun, drifting with the wind, and held her in my arms till she coughed and died. Then I went out to the other schooner and told them they were bad marksmen. They had only been passing by for Copra, and the story I told them was a shocking one. They were much impressed, and they seemed glad to get away. But the blacks were still on shore, so that I could not go back for the pearls. And I worked the schooner out by myself and shaped a course. I came to Tubuai alone thus, a day before you, Joel. End of chapter 8 Recording by Roger Moline